Thank you, Joan. There are seats at the front, please. <laughs> Follow the president. I'm so glad I'm in command. Have a seat. You don't want? Okay. It's a delight to be sharing, or rather preaching the Word of God in this community chapel. This morning, our theme together is an interpretation of love. Over 10 years ago, probably over 15 years ago, a very well-intentioned and elderly sister came to me and posed a question right to my nose. Now, she didn't mean to be mean. She was very well-intentioned, loving sister. She said, Dennis, you have, you have preached many sermons on love. Indeed, I have preached many sermons on love. May I ask you a question? Is your life an interpretation of love? Is your life an illustration of love? Is your life merely an instruction of love or an illustration of love, an interpretation of love, the hermeneutic of love, if I may put it this way, sounding very scholarly? What a sharp and relevant question. I thought a lot about that question ever since. It's so easy to talk about love and sing romantic songs about love. But the question that confronts us is, are you an interpretation of love? Are you an illustration of love? Are you the exemplifications or amplifications of love? When people look at you, they will say, this person is real love illustrated. Not only instructed, but illustrated. As has been said, love is better felt than told. Right? It is better caught than taught. It is better illustrated than instructed. It is better interpreted than speculated. When people look at you, who they said, this person, crystal clear, no suspicions, no speculations, is all crystal clear. I see a love so crystal clear that people applaud it and people are drawn to it. St. Paul is a giant of faith, a mighty thinker that he was. He was no, no man with nothing between the years. He was an example of love. He illustrated love, not only he taught it, he illustrated, interpreted vividly in the way he treated both his co-workers and those who made mistakes. Little book, Philemon, three major characters. Philemon the master, Onesimus the runaway slave, St. Paul. Onesimus was guilty of stealing from his master Philemon. And through the ministry of St. Paul, he became a Christian and his life has been deeply transformed. So Paul now was sending him back to his master and he wrote this brief letter, full of affection and full of love. Let me share with you three points. Many of you have heard me before. I'm an old-fashioned preacher who never uses PowerPoint, but my points are PowerPoints. <laughs> By the way, I didn't say that to receive an applause, but thank you very much. Uh, 
three PowerPoints. When you have PowerPoints, why do you need PowerPoints? Number one, <laughs> love, love is how do you how can you be an interpretation of love? Love is not interpreted in commanding, but in respecting. St. Paul, an older man with authority, could have commanded Philemon to, to welcome back Anastasius, the runaway slave. Instead, he wrote the beautiful letter to Philemon, not commanding, not commanding him what he should do, not threatening, not warning, not imposing, not insisting what Philemon ought to do with a runaway slave. Rather, he wrote a letter appealing on the basis of love for Philemon to receive Onesimus back into his house. In verse 9, I appeal to you on the basis of love, not on the basis of his authority. Again, in verse 10, he stressed, I appeal for my spiritual son, Onesimus. Did you see how tactful and skillful and sensitive that Paul was towards his co-worker? He merely made a humble request on behalf of the runaway slave and left the final decision to the leadership of Philemon himself. And this, I see, is true love interpreted, crystal clear. He did not command, although he could, but he sought to respect others. May I say this? There are people who feel that they have to command because they think that through this they can command trust and respect other people. And yet the outcome is just the opposite. We think the loudest we shout we could gain trust and respect from people. Some people make unreasonable demands because they think they are indispensable or irreplaceable. So they feel able to say and do anything without the feelings, considering the feelings of others. And still others enjoy and command. Why? Because they are so afraid of losing power and losing control. Let me apply to the marital context. After one week of marriage, a highly chauvinistic husband, chauvinistic husband, came to the pastor who has officiated at his wedding and complained. He said, Pastor, you, you gave a wonderful sermon last week, and you said when two of us got married, the two became one. But Pastor, you never told me which one. <laughs> Is it her body joined with mine so that I could... She could keep on nagging me, nah, 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 until death do us part? <laughs> or is it my body joined with hers so that I could command, command her until death do us part? Brothers and sisters, why are you so loud when you deal with your lover? You think the loudest you shout, you can command respect and trust out of your lover? Pointless. I have tried this before. It didn't work. <laughs> And she tried on me many times. It didn't work. You see, the issue is not about controlling or nagging. Who controls more? Who nags more? Sometimes women, sometimes men. The issue is not so much about controlling or nagging. It is about mutual respect. Where there is mutual respect, relationships tend to decrease in conflict and increase in understanding. And some of you men, you try and command your, your wife and see what will happen. The calamity will be great. <laughs> and some of you women, you try and order your husband around and see what might happen. I can assure you, your better half will become the bitter half. <laughs> a company, in a large company, brag about his relationship. 
He said, for 15 years, I have been the president of this large company. I have never once had a stomach ache working with my staff. And then one of the staff shouted, no stomach ache, but you gave us stomach aches. <laughs> and not only that, but many heartaches as well as many other problems through your unreasonable command and irrational demands. My dear brothers and sisters, why so many friendship and marriages break down? Why? Because they are too much commanding and too little respecting. And Paul handled this relationship with great care, tactful, skillful, considerate of the feelings of Philemon. Why? Because he loved Philemon. And he shows it by respecting his leadership. Look at verse 13. Paul respectfully wrote, I don't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not coerced. In other words, what Paul was saying is, I want your understanding. I'm sending him back to you. I don't want to impose. I don't want to impose that you have to receive him. In other words, I don't want to give you a stomach ache. I'm only making a humble request on behalf of my spiritual son, Onesimus. Dear brothers and sisters, how is your relationship with others? Sometimes we think too highly of ourselves. Let us learn to let go of our self-centeredness and seek to respect others. Respect cannot be demanded. It must be earned. May I stress, it must be learned and earned. The older I get, the more I realize that the assignment of respecting others is a daily assignment. It has to be learned, and in the process of learning, you earn it. Respect must be learned and earned. You can't say that I'm a leader in this community. I'm somebody greater than others, so everybody must bow down and worship me. We must learn to respect others first, and through that, we gradually earn the respect of others. Sometimes we put too much weight on ourselves. G.K. Chesterton put it whimsically. He said, you know why angels fly, and they fly higher and higher and freer and freer and further and further? Yeah. Happy angels flying on the sky. Why? Why do angels fly? Because they take themselves lightly. <laughs> they don't put a lot of weight on themselves. They take themselves lightly. You put on too much weight, you must go on diet. <laughs> um, you have to lose some weight. I have lost a lot of weights before. Thank goodness I'm still losing it. Don't take yourself far too weightily or else your leadership will never thrive and therefore never arrive, no matter how hard you, you strive. <laughs> Secondly, love is not interpreted in depreciating others but in making others useful, useful by seeking to encourage them in order to build them up. And you say, where did you get this? Verse 11, Oh, I love that. Formerly, he was useless, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. You see, you see, formerly, but now. You see the contrast here? What are transformations and what are trans transpositions? From being useless to being useful. And the whole process is a tedious one. It's a long one. It takes a lot of hard, hard labor, hard work, prayers, patience, energy, to see the fruits of your labor. 
And those of us who are still here, why? Because there are professors who uphold you and hold you up. There are those people who pray for you. They love you. I'm the product of a long, tedious process of mentoring and torture, and not torturing, tortillage. <laughs> Some mentors are torture, torturer. You know. I thank God for many mentors who came alongside with me and lifted me up. And I'm the product of a long, tedious, painful, patient mentorship of others. Although we do not know exactly how Paul made him useful. Tradition argued that Onassimus later became an influential bishop. The second, in the second century, in interest of Antioch, argue that Onassimus became an influential bishop in Asia. Scholars differ, might differ on this, but the point to ponder is he was made useful, as useful as his master Philemon under the tutelage of St. Paul, his spiritual master. Practically, how can we make people useful? My mother died two and a half years ago. I still miss my mom very much. Mother and I had a very, very good relationship. And each time when she said, each time she said to me, when you miss me, you put on a pink tie. Today, pink. She's close to my heart. She became a young widow when she was 43 years old, with 10 children to take after. 10 children, she's very productive. <laughs> 10 children, oh, she was very productive. And she was such a scintillating beauty. She was the most beautiful woman in the world. You look at me, you know how beautiful she is. <laughs> she's such a scintillating beauty. And mom, yeah, 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 don't, don't go too far out. <laughs> My mother used to chastise me and encourage me. She said, son, if you want to have good followers and many followers, you must develop two things. Develop an eye that penetrates into the inner being of others, an eye to see the inner hurts and pain, and develop a heart that feels the hurts of others in order to stand by and encourage them. Mom used to, used to caution me. She said, your eyes are very big. Of, see, amongst the 10 members in the family, my eyes are the biggest. <laughs> but mom said, it's good for nothing. Big eyes, good for nothing. Because you are blind. You are blind to the struggles of others, to the pain of others. You must learn to develop an eye, a penetrating eye, and a compassionate Heart. Only then you will have many students and many followers. St. Paul had a penetrating heart and compassionate, penetrating eye and a compassionate heart. The two things that are needed to be an encourager. And Paul, you remember young Timothy? Paul saw the inner struggles of the young Timothy and felt his inner struggle, wrote two letters in order to encourage him. Likewise, I believe that Paul might have seen the burden that Onesimus carry, the burden of guilt because he has stolen from his master. And Paul might have seen his pain and his regrets for his past evil deed. And he stood by him to encourage him, to make him useful. So in the hands of the encourager, 
Like St. Paul, the insignificant anatomist has become significant. The weak has been made strong. The useless has become useful, as useful as Philemon himself. And this is made very clear in verse 13 where Paul said, I would have liked to have kept him with me as my servant so that he could take your place in helping me. Although Paul preferred to keep Onesimus with him, the Roman law requires that he send him back to his owner. So, sisters and brothers, sometimes we can be very busy in ministries, in our work, and this can make us blind and numb to the struggles and the disappointments and the burdens and the hurt that people carry. We can be so blind and so numb. When that happens, that's the opposite of love. Let this be our prayer. Oh God, restore my sight so that I could see what others do not see and feel what others feel. And only, only the one possessed of a penetrating eye and a compassionate heart could interpret, interpret accurately and thus be an effective agency of love. Only those who are possessed of a penetrating eye and a compassionate heart could interpret correctly and accurately and thus become the very effective agency of love. Finally, love is not interpreted in being calculative, but in being generous and magnanimous. Oh, I like that English word, magnanimous. Magnanimity, probably one of the longest words in the English dictionary. Magnanimity. There are two kinds of people in this world. The Chinese can understand it. The Indian can understand it. The Caucasian can understand it. Every human flesh can understand what I'm talking about. Two kinds of people in this world. Big people and little people. <laughs> little people have little hearts. Hearts so little that they cannot contain anyone else. They can't see anything else. And these people, little people with little hearts, have very little influence on others. But big people have big hearts. Magnanimous person has a big heart, a heart big enough to take in the mistakes of others, the differences in others, the struggles of others. St. Paul could have reasoned and calculated, how can I associate with someone with a criminal record? Well, that would be a threat to my reputations, a hindrance to my image as a leader. Instead, Paul exhibit a big heart, a heart big enough to contain all kinds of people. Look into Romans chapter 16, which is a friendship text. There is a long catalog of names of people Paul was concerned for. Over 30 names in that one chapter, including the rich and the poor, the old and the young, the Jews and the Gentile, educated, uneducated, male and female, masters and slaves. But now, even Onesimus, the criminal was in his heart. Brothers and sisters, close your eyes. Could you name those lives that you have touched or those lives who have touched you? Can you remember them? A long catalog of names is a revelation of your heart. Whether you are big at heart or not, Paul called Onesimus my very heart. I'm sending my very heart back to you. And in verse 16, Paul regarded him as better than a slave, as a dear brother, as a partner. And in verse 18, he said, 
If Onesimus owed you any, anything, charge it into my account. In other words, he was generous enough to pay for anything so that Onesimus can be accepted by his master. What a big heart that he exhibits. Charge it into my account. And the word charge is an imputation language. Has to do with the doctrine of justification by faith. According to which Christ's righteousness is charged unto us sinners. And our sin is charged unto Christ. Unto Christ. There is a joyous exchange. A joyous exchange in which Christ's righteousness was given to us in exchange for our sin. This is the gospel. The gospel is about joyous exchange. Luther was gripped by it. Calvin and others, because Christ's righteousness is given to us in exchange for our sin. It is not by your righteousness or my righteousness that we are set right by God or with God, but by Christ's righteousness, that by which we are liberated. And Jesus paid the debt of sin in order that we might be forgiven. Amazing love. How can it be? May I paraphrase? Magnanimous love. How can it be that you and I, miserable sinners, should gain an interest in our Savior's blood? This is the gospel. And Paul, having been apprehended by the gospel of that joyous exchange, he now applies, applies it in his relationship with Onesimus. Having been apprehended, now he applies he applies it to the relationship that he has with Onesimus. He said, charge his debt into my account. Just as Christ paid a debt in order to liberate us, so also Paul paid a debt in order to liberate Onesimus or purchase Onesimus. Is that not love so magnanimously displayed? This is magnanimity made so manifest in Paul's dealing with a repentant slave. Let me close with an illustration. 1965, Wimbledon tennis final. Anybody tennis player here? 1965, Wimbledon tennis final was on replay in TV. There was a replay. And there was a little incident which I felt very interesting, which illustrate my point. On the player's second service, the linesman, the linesman called fault. In other words, the ball went out of line. The player disagreed, thinking that his service hit right on the line. It was not a fault. So he protests. But the umpire, the big guy up there, the umpire supported the linesman's decisions, so the player lost that point. However, the opponent, the opponent also felt that the player's service was a good one. It was right on the line. It was not a fault. Do you know what the opponent do? Next time when the ball came over the net, the opponent simply walked away and lost a point. He allowed the player to gain a point which he felt he should have gained in the first place. Is that not bigness of heart? A generosity of spirit that was so vividly and powerfully portrayed on television that the entire outlook of that game of tennis was changed and the relationship between two players had been enhanced. 
Do you know what small people would say? Small people with a small heart would say, winning is not everything. I know that. Don't come and tell me. My mother told me many times. Winning is not everything. A small person will say, winning is not everything, but winning is the only thing. <laughs> it's the only thing. So a generous person with a big heart will say, winning is not the main thing. Allow others to win. So brothers and sisters, avoid being calculative, being selfish or self-centered. Rather seek to be forgiven, accepting, encouraging, making others stronger than before, more useful than last year. If you think you are right, there are, there are people coming to my office talking all kinds of things about who is right and who is more right and they keep crying and they talk about it and then you have to start crying with them otherwise they will never stop crying. You know? <laughs> They are into discussion who is more right and who is more wrong. I get very tired. I just go home and sleep. And I said this, if you think you are right, your president also thinks you are right. The dentist of Toronto also thinks you are right. Your mother thinks you are right. Then it is about time for you to manifest bigness of heart. We can be so right that we become so self-righteous which is the opposite of Christ-likeness. And this is a challenge. This is the assignment given to all of us living in this community. My dear brothers and sisters, let me put it this way. If you remain and grows and grows in who is right, who is wrong, who is more right and who is more wrong, perhaps you are a person with a small heart. We have been forgiven. Let's learn to be forgiven of others. We have been graced, and so we must be gracious towards others because of the magnanimous love that by which we gain an interest in our Savior's blood. Let us learn to be magnanimous towards one another. We don't have to face one another in a hostile and demanding, unforgiving fashion because of the magnanimous love which we all have been touch, having been apprehended by the gospel of the magnanimous love, let us apply it in the way we deal with one another. We are God's beloved people and therefore we ought to be the most loving of all creatures. Amen? Let's stand. Hold out your hands to receive the benediction. May the triumphant grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the omnipotent love of our Heavenly Father, and the supporting, consoling presence of thy Holy Spirit abide and abound in each one of you. All of God's people say, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.